YouTube, Spotify, Google Cast, wherever you're listening to this here. Welcome back to another episode of Heart of the Cast, episode dry, I think, yes? Yes, three. Episode. And I'm now under the toad for anyone who's watching it instead of just listening. Yeah, you see, uh, it's on my stream today, so uh, we've actually managed to fix it up in a correct fashion in a way. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, the aesthetics here are improving. Uh, I don't have too much to show on screen. I didn't have a lot of preparation time as much as I would like to this time, but don't worry. Uh, this is quite a uh, open-ended, evergreen kind of topic we're uh, discussing today. What are we talking yeah. about today, Mr. Schmidt? Today is the combo deck episode uh, where we discuss the entire topic and history of what combo decks are in Yu-Gi-Oh, what they represent, how we like them, how well, what we like about them, what we don't like about them, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so uh, combo is probably the most controversial playstyle in any game for uh, for the uh, cra trading card games in general. Like a lot of people in Pokemon, Magic, mm -hmm. Hearthstone, they've always generally been quite uh, critical of you know these long turns that sometimes end in ways that don't allow you to play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So mm -hmm. today we're going to be going through all of the kind of uh, iterations of the styles of combo decks we've seen throughout the history of this game, uh, and then yeah. we'll be talking a little bit about you know conceptually do we think that this is good this is not good etc cetera, etc cetera, and um things like that uh talk a little bit about yeah. the evolution of combo going from deck lists to deck lists uh nothing specific but there are obviously very very certain uh examples that come up in the mind when we talk about combo uh we're gonna have a separate subsection dedicated to pendulum which is kind of interesting <laughs> yeah but yeah pendulum is a bit of a unique uh Thing here and we figured that we would give it its own little dedicated subsection because it's it is generally been a combo deck um and insofar as that konami even changed the rules of the games to address pendulum if you think about it yep. so uh we've been talking about the types of disruption that exist in the game negates floodgates multiple miscellaneous disruptions book of moon stuff like that that combo decks can end on heretic seals bouncing stuff like that the counters to combo the necessary evil of floodgates or maxi and then we talk about the future <laughs> Uh, so yeah. you want to kick us off with uh, portion number one? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, one of the main things that I'm thinking of when I'm thinking combo decks is that I think there's a big difference between what combo decks are in Yu-Gi-Oh! and what combo decks like typically are. And I feel like we can talk a little bit about why that is, because when I'm sure if you ask anyone in like in like the magic uh, sphere or anything like that, you would hear an answer of like, well, a combo deck is something that takes a while to assemble its combo pieces and once it gets once it gets the combo pieces together uh it's it's going to pop off basically right there will very often be decks that end up on some sort of loop whatever if once they establish certain combinations of cards right and i feel like that's the main thing that combo decks do in other games that they don't really do in Yu-Gi-Oh which is take a lot of time right because um, that's usually the downside in other games is like, well, your glaring weakness is you're going to take some time to assemble all those pieces. So if you're playing against some other faster decks, right, then they're going to take you out, right? And that's how um, that's how combo decks operate in, in, in other card games very often, which is not really the case in Yu-Gi-Oh! Because in Yu-Gi-Oh! I feel like the the main definition that we have for combo decks is just anything that has a relatively long quote-unquote combo on the first turn right exactly uh, first turn i think is like the key differentiation between you and other games uh you look mm -hmm. at uh hearthstone for example 
Um, played a decent amount of that, and any combo deck that exists in Hearthstone, I mean, you can't do anything for the first couple of turns. Exactly. Those were the kind of decks where, like, okay, I'm a combo deck, so I'm going to wait until I find my pieces, which is sometimes turn 9, 10, 11, whatever, right? And um, obviously, also partially because you need a specific amount of mana to do all those things, right? This is something that we don't have in Yu-Gi-Oh!, which in general, often, because Yu-Gi-Oh! is so fundamentally different from a lot of these other resource-based card games these sort of typical terms that we have um uh, for like you know combo mid-range control they don't always apply perfectly to to Yu-Gi-Oh. it's hard to apply those concepts from other games uh to this game so we've kind of i feel like as the Yu-Gi-Oh community we've developed our own kind of meaning behind the word combo deck which is rather different from what they what they use in these other games yeah, so for some context, we were uh, writing out the uh, script of sorts last night, talking about mm -hmm. how we would uh, subdivide this topic. And even between us, we were struggling to really try and come up with like a consistent framework explaining what does combo actually mean. Do yeah. you measure combo in the number of steps and how long a combo takes? Or do you yeah. measure it in its uh, end board? Because mm -hmm. there's a very big difference between, for example ritual beast and goki right but to yep. some extent depending on the hand ritual beast can have as many steps right yep. in terms of like the duration of the turn uh yep. salomon great is another great example i think salomon great has a lot of steps in the combo yep. um but i don't think anyone would ever call salomon great a uh a, a combo deck right I mean, I think it's fair to to call it a combo deck. It's just that we have multiple terms with these because I also hear Salamangrid often being referred to as quote-unquote a mid-range deck. But at the same time, uh, the, the term mid-range is the same thing in Yu-Gi-Oh! because um, mid-range decks, classic, the, the name is, 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 is that because they aim to finish the games like somewhere in the middle, right? They, they're not super fast, but they're also not super slow. That's why they're called mid-range. Whereas in Yu-Gi-Oh, you would think of that as like, okay, how many turns does it turns does the deck usually take to win? Well, even for mid-range decks, that can often be one, two, three turns, right? So like even in that sense, the mid-range also doesn't really apply, right? And it's so it feels like um well, the first of all, that, when we had definition this discussion yesterday. Is, I feel like there's so many decks in Yu-Gi-Oh that even the non-combo decks, they all aim to end the game by turn three, right? If you win the dice roll. You know, even like the even something like Labyrinth, you could argue, right? You like put up enough disruption, and you can just like OTK on turn three, or no, at Labyrinth least have... is genuinely also something I would consider a combo deck, even though the oh, because it's it, okay. it's it's not really a stun deck anymore, but like it's it's they basically we have a lot of different flavors of combo, and that's what we settled on is that we have to distinguish between. Um, and go a little bit deeper into it. And at some point during the discussion yesterday, I just said, hey, we should just have that discussion on the podcast because I think that's one of the more interesting parts of the entire discussion of like what exactly is combo. And I actually don't even think it's that good of a term in, in Yu-Gi-Oh! context because it's simply like, I feel like uh, theoretically way too many decks fall under the category and it doesn't even really... You know, you, you don't really have a way to distinguish Manadium from Salamangrate, even though as a Yu-Gi-Oh player, it feels like there should be uh, a difference be between how you, you know, classify the, these two decks. Yeah, I think like um, personally, when I was like trying to think about it and we talked a little bit uh, yesterday, I think one of like the major um, 
differing points it's really interesting you mentioned labyrinth as potentially a combo deck you know but like mm -hmm. you think of that you would never put that in the same category as like adamancipator for example yeah. at its height right yeah. and i think mm -hmm. one of like the main dif differentiating factors is generally what i've noticed is like the combo decks like we're talking like the uh the yugi boomer i hate Yu-Gi-Oh type of combo decks the people who mm -hmm. complain about those 30 minute turns like generally there seems to be from what i understand like a, a trend of like a, a huge usage of the extra deck um mm -hmm. and also very little follow-up generally okay. that apl that's applied quite well to lots of these big build board generic extra deck um heavy first turn decks right but at the same time yeah. that sometimes falls apart because if you look at something like drytron drytron never really used a lot of its extra deck um you were yeah. really just relying on that herald uh, and it's... you could argue they had a lot of follow-up even if you did manage mm -hmm. to crack the field yeah that, that's true yeah yeah like one one other like one more benton in hand and you have like all the dry drones in a graveyard and you just go but um i yeah no the the use of the extra deck and stuff like that and i i feel like that's more like a commonly occurring pattern rather than what defines it because it's just like it just happens to be that a lot of the combo decks do that and it also is true that a lot of the combo decks not all of them um go kind of like all in you know if you have an answer or if you you know then then I probably won't be winning the game. Um, but I, the way I like to think about it, the 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 way I distinguish um, like what I would call an all-in like sort of combo deck in Yu-Gi-Oh is I like to think of what they try to achieve with their first turn combo, right? Which is like in the sense of the all-in combo decks is like they try to make a board or it doesn't even have to be a board. It can also be like by some hand loop of sorts or even technically like an FTK, right? But it's some, something that like doesn't even give your opponent a chance to 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 play, right? Like like the kind of boards that, um, for example, Super Heavy Samurai used to make or do, does currently make in Master Duel are the kind of boards that you look at it and if you haven't stopped it with a hand trap, you don't even try to play the game. As opposed to something like a Salamangrate end board where even if you don't interrupt them at all, you let them play for however long it takes, um, you will still draw your hand and try to play into it because you still probably have a chance because what they end on is not immediately game winning. And see, I think like that's definitely one angle to take, but at the same time, because of the way go second cards work in Yu-Gi-Oh and because of how powerful some of these blowouts are it it you you kind of can try and see if you can break it right i mean just one example i was at locals the other uh, night and i was playing against Manadium, and i lost the yeah. dice roll uh, and both mm -hmm. games i i won the game one um because i just set five into a combo deck you know like apoloza doesn't do anything as torrential tribute right so it's like I think if you're defining it by, okay, well, we're going to give up and just move on to the next game, it's like, well, it depends on your deck, I think, right? And it depends on the cards you're playing, because there are so many blowouts uh, you can play. Yes, I'm not sure if I would use Transaction Rollback Burning Abyss as the best <laughs> benchmark. But, like, you could argue, like, Labyrinth is very similar in that way, right? Like, heavy trap versions of Labyrinth can definitely go second uh, into combo decks. They play, uh, they can sometimes I play guess... golems. I guess it falls under the category of I, I what I think what I said is true for about ninety percent of situations, right? It's mm -hmm. like unless you have a very specific answer, like a dark ruler or a sphere mode or whatever that are very specifically designed to crack combo boards, right? 
um, any normal hand, right? Any normal hand of like maybe a couple engine cards and then maybe some, it can have some non-engine, but nothing that's specifically designed to break the board. Like if it's not a Dark Ruler, but rather like, I don't know, a Book of Moon or a Talents or whatever. Um, those are the kind of hands where if I draw five engine pieces and a Talents, I'm definitely going to be in the game against a Salamangrate player, a Dragonling player, any sort of these strategies, right? Like I'm just going to play into it and I'm, I have a good chance of winning. Um, whereas if I'm playing against Super Heavy Samurai and I draw five engine and a Talents, I don't even have to try. It's not worth it. Do you really think so? I think like... If you're if you've got a good engine with talents, like that could potentially be kind of breakable. But I think this sort of ties in a little bit to something we're gonna talk about later, which is like the types of disruptions. Because some mm -hmm. combo decks end on um types of disruptions that it doesn't even matter. Like one example I'm thinking of is like Buster Lock, right? That was really popular in Dragon Link. They literally mm -hmm. ended on what? A Savage Negate and a Seals and the Buster Lock, which is like that's basically yeah. three, but because you've been uh, Buster locked. It doesn't matter if you have like twenty cards in hand, unless one of them specifically stops that mm -hmm. Buster lock. Then it doesn't really matter, right? Like, so it's it's really it's really weird because I think the type of disruption makes a big difference as to whether or not you you're there. You, yeah, you, there's you definitely there's definitely a difference even within the category of like the hardcore combo decks. Uh, there's definitely a difference between. Uh, something that can potentially be outed if you have the right cards. And then there's even some that even if you have a card like Dark Ruler or Sphere Mode, like it doesn't even matter because like think back when Scythe Lock was allowed or we had Gumblar looping four cards out of your hand before you even went to your first main phase, right? And so um, there's definitely still, even within the category of what I personally find rather unhealthy uh, decks, uh, there's there's even fine differences there, yeah. It's strange because I feel like in Yu-Gi-Oh! it's quite easy to define like a stun deck. Um, pretty mm -hmm. straightforward to define control. Um, yep. Less so with mid-range, but combo, yeah, there's just a lot of layers to yep. what it actually means to be a combo deck, you know? I think um, I think mainly, I think we all technically understand what a combo deck is. I think the main distinguish, uh, the, the, main, the main difference we need to point out is that there are there are combo decks that are i think the term that people most often use is like fair and unfair or healthy and unhealthy combo decks right like yeah um and i feel like the fine line between the two the only one that i can think of is the one that i said earlier where um i feel like the healthy combo decks they combo for a while but they still aim to play a real game after right like if your opponent plays into it you're going to develop an actual back and forth gameplay whereas like um there's other combo decks if they pull through the full combo it's basically just a question of does your opponent have a hard counter in their hand? Yes, they they can win. No, they don't even have a chance. Like you don't even have to really like you feel bad for your opponent for even trying sometimes, right? Because you're just like there's no way. Yeah, I think like maybe probably a good way to look at it is the defining factor can just be like how easy it is for pure engine to go into a board, right? Um, I think yeah. like if you have nothing but engine cards going into like yeah. a super heavy field. Mm -hmm. I don't really see you winning that in most cases. I don't really know what engine can even beat that, except like decks that just have inherently built in. <laughs> I mean, super like, heavy ends on like if it depends on the version, but super heavy, even if it doesn't go for a scythe lock or whatever or a hand loop, they can just end on like three Omni Negates plus Appaloosa. It's like like you're not going to. Yeah, exactly. Um, so where do we uh define something like mid range? That seems to be the kind of. Is it's I found it very strange that you would argue that 
you know, potentially Labyrinth could be considered a combo deck, which... I think it's, I think the two go hand in hand. I think I, I what whether you call it a fair combo deck because it doesn't aim to auto win immediately, which that, that includes the possibility to go longer than just turn one, right? If you don't, if your board is not broken enough to immediately win the game and have your opponent scoop, then your deck has to be quote unquote mid range, right? Because you're going to have to plan for going to more turns and maybe lose your board and have to rebuild later, which is an ability that some combo decks just don't have because they, like you said, empty their extra deck very early on or like have certain resources that they only play once and it's gone. Um, but like the what we call mid-range is, I think, the same as what we would define fair combo as because it's the kind of decks that don't aim to win with their board immediately most of the time and therefore they have to have some sort of plan for, for follow-up, um, you know, those kind of things, right? Yeah, which I think ties us nicely into talking about the combo uh, style of Yu-Gi-Oh as a conceptual sort of uh, idea. Do we think that this is a good idea, for example? I think mm -hmm. um, unanimously for probably the majority of players that you would ask, uh, is, is combo healthy is I think probably going to be a no for anyone who is looking at combo in the category of, for example, Dart World, yeah. Adamancipator, Goki, uh, Drytron, I think a lot of players would look at something like this and think like, this is a very good example of not okay combo decks. Um, you know, for the for the simplicity of this podcast, so we don't have to go redefining it every time or specify what we mean, let's just classify that as combo and let's classify the other stuff as mid-range for, for now. Because in my head, that makes sense mm -hmm. to just talk of Salamangrid as a mid-range deck, for example. Um, uh, and then, of course, there's some decks that will be like on the verge of between mid-range and combo or whatever but um i guess that would make labyrinth for example in that example it would also be a mid-range deck right um but i think anything that is considered a combo deck in that sense um i personally don't find it healthy and my main issue with it and i also i also think that's the main difference between combo and mid-range um is that it's usually only fun for one player um and of course <laughs> The entire the entire question of what is fun in Yu-Gi-Oh is very um, it's very subjective, but I think the main takeaway is that whether like when a, a combo deck is involved, very often um, it's only fun for one player because I do understand the people that like to play combo decks themselves, right? Like I I can understand how it's cool to figure out the different ways on how to do your turn one plays, play around hand traps, maneuver around certain like maybe develop certain lines that that cover for your opponent having certain board breakers you know figure out the lines through nib through whatever right I, that that sort of thing i i find it fun yeah, myself as well i can i can i can see it um but what you also have to understand is that for your opponent um usually it's not going to be very fun and the same is true the other way as well like it's not only always fun for the combo player like sometimes like it's also not fun uh, to play the super all-in combo decks in, in Master Duel and get maxied or get drolled and just pass your turn and get run over by even a mid-range deck because even a mid-range deck uh, these days, you know, if you if they stop you for one turn and you basically have no no defensive or almost no defensive cards in your deck, they're going to run you over as well. And um, it's not fun either, right? And so I feel like it's very rare for combo decks to to provide like a fun gameplay experience for both sides. Did you ever experience um, the Zoomer nonsense that the high-level players could be doing at events where 
people would literally just declare like i will just skip this part right where it's like you just put the two rapiers in your graveyard and then you summon like uh whatever like the end board was right like there was a period in time where people were like just gentlemen's agreeing agreeing very illegal probably today anyway to just like skip the linear portion because everyone knew it mm. And so you just put the field up, right? Like, I think, I, I want to say Zodiac was like a, an era of that, right? I, yeah, I don't remember that specific thing, but I could, I I could, could imagine. I, I could just be yapping, but I feel like if anyone does recall that, you know, let me know. But I, I, I do vaguely remember people just agreeing to, like, skip certain portions. It's the kind of thing that I do when I test with friends. Just let me skip this part yeah. because we both know how it works, but I don't remember. Well, the, the reason I bring that room. up is uh, where I was going with that was, um, I think, like, that seems really boring and unfun, right? But I think one of the more exciting combo decks um, is the non-linear combo decks, right? Which is why, mm -hmm. you know, I I'm going to be the bad guy, I guess, but I really enjoyed Adamantipator. I really, really like that Oh, deck, no. You know? I'm not ready for the block dragon talk yet. <laughs> We're not ready for that discussion. Um, and if we want to keep it somewhat uh, neutral, <laughs> that's why a lot of people loved full power tier limit. Uh, was that it was a combo deck? I, I think we'd call it a combo deck. Um, that was very non-linear. Um, you I had mean, the like... first one. The first one that I thought of was the the danger FTK. Because let me tell you, a good one as well. Yeah, that's a that perfect deck example. That was so fun to play, but at the same time, but it's an it's FTK. Still, it circles back to what I said earlier. None of my opponents at the two YCSs I I, I taught with that deck. None of them had fun. <laughs> they did not have fun. That's the thing, right? I had fun. And I get it. I also understand why you enjoy playing at Emancipator. But I've been on the receiving end of, of an at Emancipator first turn after my maxi got called by the Graved in Master Duel. And uh, I do not care how fun this is for my opponent right now. Like, like, I do not care about how... I don't know how much like uh, dopamine you're getting from that reveal off of that researcher. I you don't just care. never know what's in the box, dude. I'm not getting any of that dopamine. It's all yours. So... <laughs> You might get some dope if it's like five spells, you know, that might make you happy. <laughs> I guess, yeah, but it's always four spells and then the rock is the fifth one, so. Yeah, someone mentioned like Block Dragon, was it like, we have we all know that Quackimera Guardian was the real problem of that deck. <laughs> oh God, dude, uh, keep this out of out of our group project. <laughs> you can you can yap that on your on your private. Uh... <laughs> on your own personal stream, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's really weird because like the, uh, the combo decks like um, Adam Ancipator felt like if you had like the right hand traps, it was very um, it's very beatable because of um, certain choke points, like on Halka Fibrax, for example, um, were kind of good mm -hmm. and things like that. But there's like some particularly uh, degenerate options, which you know, I it it's not something that was super popular, but low key, Dino with Misk was one of the most ignorant things I've ever experienced in this game. Was just yeah. being able to just make your card unaffected by all all of your dinos, not even the yeah. ones you currently control. Every single one of them, like that, is I think really frustrating to sit and watch as a player. It's, is your that, opponent? That is an extra. It's an extra layer of frustration because one initial problem of the combo decks, um, because they put so much weight on their first turn, right? Um, which by default, the first turn in Yu-Gi-Oh is the le the least interactive because you know you can only really like it. It just comes down to have I drawn hand traps or not, right? Other cards that I have to my disposable to, to my di disposal, I can't use them yet, right? Uh, I had no chance to set a trap card yet. Had no chance to develop any monsters onto the board. Had no chance to do anything uh, other than interact with my opponent with hand traps, right? 
Um, and people say all the time, like, oh, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! is only one turn anymore. That's not true. For the majority of mid-range decks, um, like, you will take part in the game on turn two. Like, your opponent goes first, and you will have a, a, a very real opportunity to play into their board. Like, the, most, of the, most of the really good Yu-Gi-Oh! decks allow for that kind of interaction, right? And those are the games that are uh, more fun because you feel like you took part. Um, like, you, you took part on the second turn, at least. And and you try to back and forth, you know, break the board. Am I able to? Am I not able to? So on and so forth. And so I feel like an, it's it's extra frustrating when you you already play against a combo deck that wouldn't allow you to really interact outside of having hand traps, and then you have one of those hand traps, and they even have tools to combat that, right? Like it's even less interactive. The one thing that I have. As as to my disposal on my, on my opponent's first turn, even gets stopped by uh, an in engine miscellanosaurus in 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 your example, right? But like even more generically, like a you know how bad it feels to get your maxi called by the grave by like a combo deck because now not only am I still gonna sit here and watch you do it, now I also have one less card to even have a chance at breaking whatever you're trying to do, right? I really, really despise and don't enjoy floodgates, and that's something I'm very uh, known for and outspoken for. Yep. Um, in some ways, a, a, an all-in crazy combo deck is like a floodgate with like a lot of extra steps, right? Like if your opponent just sets up like a herald or a buster lock um, or a searchable scythe combo, all of mm -hmm. that, like it. I mean, that literally is a floodgate. But like for the most yeah. part, like. You know, even just like five, six omnis or something like that, like that, you really are just dealing with what is what is essentially a. Uh, it's a, the same a, thing. It's a, a it's, it's all it's an FTK essentially. It's an yeah. FTK. It's it's also a floodgate because it technically doesn't let your opponent play. It's not one card that says your opponent can't play. Like in the case of a floodgate, uh, it's more nuanced because it's well, it's four different monsters together that uh, combined they say, well, we stop four of your opponent's cards, and that probably means they can't do anything. Uh, so it's really. Uh, Whatever that, whatever it comes down to is, it's it's always you know, just let just let both players take part in the game. That's that's simple. Then there's the highest chance of both players having fun. This was always my main criticism of floodgates. Was um, it's arguable to say that fun is a subjective term that can be defined person to person. But sure. um, I think like one of the key factors that you've you know very much developed there was that interactivity is at the heart of it. Um, if you aren't so, interacting yeah. with your opponent, you're not having fun. If you're not having fun, then that's not really a healthy mechanic generally. Um, so for the same reasons, like if you're not really interacting with your opponent's board because their combo was so crazy, then that's not fun. And that therefore that's by proxy maybe just not good for the game, right? Same with Floodgates. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really what I think the biggest issue that people have with combo uh, is not only that there's the non-interactivity portion of the part, but also a second portion that I wanted to maybe try to develop a little bit as well um, it's just the amount of waiting um, that exists in Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even, even if you uh, are playing like a mid-rangey deck, like uh, Tri-Brigade, uh, Salmon Great, you know, if you're at a locals and you're playing like, physically Link. in person. <laughs> Dragon Link is my, is my yeah. favorite example for this because I, I have never classified Dragon Link as an unhealthy deck. Um, um, unless, you know, if it did something like the, the Buster Lock or anything like that. But genuinely, every time I'm playing against Dragon Link, I... Or like most of the time, when I when I have like a, a an average or good hand, um, I I'm just sitting there and I'm like, hey, I can just let them play, and 
that's probably still going to be a good game. You know, it's not like the um, <laughs> activate Vakaushi and I go top left instantly, right? Um, yeah, even it, like uh, historically, there's been so many decks that are fair and boards like um, yeah. Dragon Link, but one of the biggest frustrating factors for a lot of like you know these typical these stereotypical like Yugi Boomer arguments is like you know you just yeah. uh, you coin flip lose sit there for twenty minutes your opponent negates everything, um, mm -hmm. but the problem is like you know I think that argument falls apart because some of these decks are very beatable but it's still very valid to complain about just how long some of these decks take even non combo yeah. decks like. I remember playing against Ritual Beast in 2015. I, I weird. I also played that deck. <laughs> that deck ended on like two pops, right? Which I mean, yeah. at the time was kind of crazy, but like it, it's still kind of beatable. Um, and what do you do in and as a designer, what do you do for the game like that? Where even like the mid range decks, you're just do you just stop making decks have combos? Like where do you go from here? Because that I think that is one of the biggest issues of mm -hmm. Yu-Gi-Oh. And one of the, like my draw factors for why I really loved playing a, a lot of Hearthstone was like. It doesn't matter if my opponent is like a hundred times more skilled than me. I'm still going to have a couple of turns where I get to do my thing, right? Yep. In Yu-Gi-Oh, it's night and day. Like a good player on a good deck will thunder stomp a bad player like over and over again, especially. And on top of that, make them lose, uh, make them wait for it constantly. You know, on a deck like Dragon Link, for example. Yeah, I, I think I, I think there's a couple culprits like that. I, I genuinely feel like most of the time these days. It's fine though. Like even if I'm looking at something like, like past format mid range decks, like I don't know, you would look at something like Unchained, uh, or like Tier Lament when it wasn't full power Ishizu. You know, like Tier Lament uh, last format. I I, f I feel like the first turns were okay most of the time. Like un unironically, it's like Dragon Link is the biggest offender I can think of in the last couple formats. Um, but other than that. Uh, like, I, I guess flu is like, that's the main reason I don't like flu that much, uh, even after the barrier statue, which has never, <laughs> it's never really been a, uh, a power level problem. Like I've never been, uh, as opposed to flu because it was too powerful, but it was always more like, uh, I kind of, I, I dislike how, well, shifter is one thing, but I, I, I dislike how long that deck takes. And then when they're done with the first turn, they do, do it all it again on yours again on your turn. <laughs> uh <laughs> and i'm like can i play the game uh but i don't know i just think that that's so much less of a problem when it is a mid-range deck and not a a, a full-on combo deck but i definitely i think that's the main reason why a lot of people don't like dragon link even though dragon link was never like toxic or anything or unhealthy uh it's just that yeah they should they should really be careful with how long they even give mid-range decks as like oh as far as like the turn one combo goes yeah, uh, good points all around. I think we've covered a lot of that. So uh, I want to move on to talk about the evolution of combo in Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm -hmm. And as far back as the eye can see, Yu-Gi-Oh has always been a game that has had uh, some form of a ramping to a particular critical mass and then going all in. Um, we've had reasoning gate all the way back in the day like even in goat format like there's there are yeah. combo decks in in goat mm -hmm. format there are combo you would decks. you could argue though uh that at that point they were they really were more like the combo decks typical like known from other games as well like they would fit into this whole um concept way better because they actually were like slow um and had to wait to assemble those pieces and your opponent would try to 
win the game before you would get there, right? Some games you would get there earlier because you got lucky. Some other games you wouldn't get there as fast and you would play like specific cards to tutor out those combo pieces. And once you got there, you would pull off the combo and win the game if you got there before your opponent could win, right? Which is not really the case um, nowadays. There's definitely a difference with how combo decks originally worked and with how they work now. Yeah, it's weird because uh, old Yu-Gi-Oh combo decks felt very much like, you know, a Hearthstone or Magic combo deck where exactly. it's like you are trying to assemble these pieces, wait until you've got that critical mass and then, um, yeah. you know, activate that Truinator Storm and then pop off. Exactly. Um, yeah, like you, I'm thinking of, you mentioned some early Reasoning Gate uh, thingies, you know, there's been like, there's what was the other MPK. one, there was a Diamond Dude Turbo, which I suppose you would classify that as a combo deck, even though it's sometimes even FTK'd. Uh, there's like um frog fdk was also i mean it was technically a combo deck that just was consistent enough to pull it off on the yeah, first that deck was kind well. of funny right because it was like it's a combo deck but it can also fdk you like that that wasn't like the main yeah. game plan you could set up like a lot of decent plays uh without fdking uh, which yeah. i think is what really cool about that deck but maybe not so much for anyone who lived through that i guess <laughs> it's it, it it that's the thing right it had cool aspects to it but of course you know having an ftk implemented in it was kind of like a a deal breaker to call it a cool deck ever again um but like one of my favorite decks from back in the day uh this is the, the this is the segment where i'm going to make a lot of boomer statements um but i really loved the the fish otk deck in like 2011 uh that deck is that deck was so sick i loved it because it was genuinely that right it was a, a deck that was it didn't have any ftk potential because you did try the win with the battle phase but it was all about you know you played that like kind of frog grind game with like you know you would try to sit on treeborns and dupe frogs and battle faders and gores and all that uh, for a while until you finally had assembled, you know, you would play Gold Sark to wait a couple turns for your combo pieces. You'd try to assemble like the the Trunade or the Heavy Storm, or I, I believe Cold Wave might have been in there as well. I don't remember exactly which back row removal we had at the time. Uh, like you would have to get two Tribute Fodders onto the board with the help of like Treeborn Enemy. Then you would get rid of the back row, summon, uh, I don't even know how you say it, Coelacanth, whatever, uh, and, and go for like whichever... You had different OTK lines. You know, you could Colossal Armory on people. You could just put 8,000 damage on board, depending what monsters they had. It was a really fun deck because you had to genuinely worry about, you know, how do I survive that long? Uh, how do I... Sometimes you didn't have the, the way to remove the back row, so how do I outplay the back row? All that kind of stuff. There was even lines that could outplay Effect Veiler because Coelacanth can negate targeting. Uh, I'm yapping, by the way. Um but uh, yeah, that so was. These were, uh, yeah, the point is, is like a lot of these older combo decks, they were, they were not usually like let's go all in turn one, um, immediately yeah. because you did need to like you just didn't have that consistency as we do today with yeah. modern archetypes. Like you had to wait, you had to uh, build it up. One thing that really, really stuck with me um, was the the VTuber that I did a reaction to talking about why he quit Mastodo. Uh, if anyone remember his name. Uh, please post it in the chat. But that video, like that, my reaction to that has like 100k plus views or something talking about um, like why he quit Mastodo and something that really stuck with me. Red knew, yeah. Um, shout outs to him. Uh, one thing that really stuck with me was that the way that modern Yu-Gi-Oh decks work, it's every game feels the same and kind of is the same uh, because you have so much instant access to your... Um, 
to your extra deck back to your main deck, vice versa. So mm -hmm. a good example he brings up is Pearly. Um, many of those games feel very similar because you're going through that very similar gameplay loop of getting the guy out your deck, you're excavating, uh, you're trying to like end on that same typical combo with those same resources, and then you're interacting with those same kind of hand traps. Old Yu-Gi-Oh decks, um, non-archetypal based usually, all of those games mm -hmm. feel very different. Uh, you know, you play like a 2007 perfect circle match or something, I think is what it's called or whatever, right? Like those games feel mm -hmm. different because you're not going to be seeing those same cards turn after turn, uh, game after game rather. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's where like the main, shall we say milestone in Yu-Gi-Oh began, I think is when the game started to feel similar. And I think some of the decks that you've brought up are just before that. And I think, like, I, I want to say maybe after Teledad, I think maybe Dragon Ruler is where that sweet spot starts to kick in, I think, where the games start to not really... I mean, every game is, like, Dragon Ruler is notoriously have a very fun and good uh, mirror match. But a lot of those duels start to feel samey in the same way that mm -hmm. you're kind of doing the same thing almost every... Uh, at the start of your turn on almost every duel. You are you have that same win condition. You're generally cycling through like the same uh, slash similar cards. And then mm -hmm. I think it's progressively gotten more and more um, faster and to some extent linear uh, mm -hmm. since 2013. I I get that point. I think that's I think that's valid uh, criticism. Uh, I think it's I think it does. I would like to add to it though that it often, to me at least, I th I thought about it. And I I don't think I feel like most of my games are the same. Uh, I I don't feel like that, but I do feel like that whole criticism definitely applies to the first turn of the game. Like the first turn of almost any Yu-Gi-Oh game, the deck is trying to do pretty much the same thing. Uh, and then where it becomes different is when that thing is being matched up into a different hand by the opponent every time, right? Like you're trying to pull off your strategy, um, and your opponent's hand is going to make what is going to is is what makes it feel different from game to game. Um, but I, I definitely I definitely see that, and the reason for that is quite simple. Like decks have just gotten more consistent and faster. So at this point in time, you know, like uh, most of the good decks just have a set combo plan that they try to to execute uh, consistently and because everything like in order to be good has to be consistent usually tries to make the same thing happen on the first turn so it's it's definitely true like you'll you'll just have like for example unchained trying to set up the same board every time you'll have pearly trying to set up the same board every time and so on and so forth and then it just it it starts being a different game from the last game that you played by you know when your opponent starts interacting with you right and i think that's probably where the biggest pitfall for uh combo happens is like you do have like the same style of end board um every game yeah i mean and this then... is where the the biggest problem comes in like it, I, I like i said the game starts feeling different when your opponent starts interacting but if one deck doesn't allow for interaction then every deck every game is going to feel the same like exactly. genuinely you can go second without a hand trap a hundred times against super heavy samurai Let's let's just leave cards like sphere mode out of the equation. Um, like if you just have to play with engine into a super heavy samurai going second, a hundred games, most of them are gonna feel the same because you're just gonna like play a couple cards until you have to scoop it up. Yeah, and I think that's like one of the major problems and criticisms of combo is that it further exacerbates so many different issues um, mm -hmm. in the game, and linearity is one of uh, is one of them, or at least yeah. a similarity. No, for sure. That 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 issue that you just mentioned is for sure. 
um, maximized by having a combo deck in the equation. Yeah. Um, if you were to like create chapters for Yu-Gi-Oh, where would they go? Um, <laughs> and it's it's interesting and it's funny because I feel like those chapters have almost always been exclusively been dictated by combo decks because they are the ones that sort of have been setting the pace of the game. You know, you have like year zero to like Teladad and then maybe another milestone. I was going to I was going to put the first I was going to put the first. Um... The first uh, marker or whatever you call it, um, the first split, definitely somewhere before Teledad, for sure. Uh, and everything before that, to me, is kind of like the where Yu-Gi-Oh was like really slow, um, which is no bad connotation to any of these terms that I'm using. Like it, it was just a different game. It was rather slow. Um, it was a very controlly, like almost any deck would end up being a control type of deck because you simply couldn't finish games faster. Um, which definitely has its appeal, you know, like once, once every once in a while when I'm going back to very old formats, I enjoy that too. But during that time, I would say combo decks exclusively existed in the form of actual what we would consider a, a classic combo deck as like you're trying to assemble pieces and usually it'll take you a while, you know, whether it's a Dimension Fusion OTK that you're trying to pull off after like five turns in gold format or whichever combo deck you can think of from that era. Okay, and your next chapter? Uh, well, it definitely starts with like the likes of Teledad and Lightsworn, which I suppose at the time you would call them a combo deck because they had explosive turns. They would just set them up sometimes. No, that's the thing about Teledad. Sometimes it sets that stuff up on turn one, but sometimes it genuinely does it on like turn five. You know, like it's it's not like you always have your Stratos, uh, D draw, teleport kind of hands so it still is compared to later combo decks rather i want to say slow in direct comparison but at the time obviously big up in terms of combo level we definitely have to make a cut before dragon ruler i feel like that's the next one i was gonna say but maybe even before that i would personally i think like so i don't you would probably know better than i do because i only started playing in dragon ruler format or just mm -hmm. after it um right. But from what I understand, the uh, the the spike to Dragon Rulers was nothing like you had seen since I don't know Invasion of Chaos, Teladad. The thing is, the thing is, I agree with you. The power spike in Dragon Rulers was insane. However, I'm not sure if if Dragon Rulers even falls into the category of a full on like combo deck because. I think for the people at the time, you could definitely like if you're sitting playing Constellar and your opponent sits down with Dragon, well, no, no, we know like, who the combo player is. No, I don't. I don't agree with you there because we've. This is like we're talking after uh, like windups. Okay, like we've had combo decks, and we at the time we would say like, okay, wind up. That's a combo deck. That so was a combo deck, hand loop, and all that. Like we've had things like that before drag the reason why dragon rulers was so good was not because they were a combo deck that was better than everything else dragon rulers were the king of of grind game mm. it's really because a dragon ruler first turn no matter how you put it that that thing's done in two minutes yeah it's really like you interesting. make a draco sack maybe two draco sacks <laughs> you draw for your rejuve you pass yeah it's uh... like if anything, if anything, at the time that deck was like the king of control because it was like unkillable and you could not outgrind it. If you ever make it to turn two, three, four against dragon rulers, like you have no chance. Bizarre as well. You because... either you either floodgate that deck or you OTK that deck real quick. Well, bro, just don't know me four times there, chat. 
<laughs> but uh, I think it's strange because um, uh, I I sort of theorized at the start here that the uh, markers of the game were ex almost exclusively dictated by the spike of the power level in the combo decks. Yeah, and, you yeah. Uh, you are adamantly arguing that Dragon Rule is not a combo deck, and I actually, you know, I guess I I definitely I see that now that you've yeah. broken it down that way. So it's interesting um, because. I think generally uh, you would look at something like that and think, oh, wow, yeah, crazy uh, wall of text on each one of these cards, multiple special summons, expending your hand. All of these are typical hallmarks of a combo deck, especially for the time, and yet... Yeah, well, um... the thing is, though, like the, 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 the wall of text on a Dragon Ruler, because it's, all, it's one effect per turn out of three, that is true. that's where the long-term value comes in. That's what was crazy. It's like that thing does not only do something... Right now, it's also going to do something for me next turn and the turn after and the turn after and the turn after. Yeah. Um, and I think for for there, like that power level sort of remains. Um, it kind of dipped yeah. a little and then maybe spiked around about soul charge. And I want to say like the next chapter probably just is Master Rule 4. I think. Oh, it's, Pendulum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think you like to just to just to complete that previous thingy. I think we, we put a marker before wind up. Um, because there is a difference between playing fish OTK and playing wind up, uh, so in just in terms of combo decks, like if we just like uh, you know, there's definitely a spike in in that that sort of concept, you know, um, mm -hmm. and then if we talk modern combo decks that try to do it always on the first turn, because not even wind up did it always on the first turn, wind up was the sort of deck that was not it wasn't consistent enough to be uh, always doing it on turn one, right, and so. Uh, it, it had to have, you know, it was loaded with, you, you played like your standard 10 to 12 trap cards to have a plan for longer games and all that kind of stuff. You know, you would be like wind up, uh, factory grinding. Was Infernity grinding. around that same time period? Hmm? Was Infernity around that same time period? Infernity comes, well, Infernity released before wind up even. Um, and I guess Infernity is a good point. Yeah, because the initial, the first wave of Infernity was the the way you would think it would be with triple launcher it would genuinely be like try to set up three barriers and all that kind of stuff but it also at the same time that deck was also very trap heavy because very often you would take multiple turns so it's also not quite as first turn heavy as later iterations but um yeah infernity had like two two major periods like it was at release like 2011 it was really powerful um but it was still at the time a relatively slow, explosive deck, rather. Um, yeah, I mean, Infernity Inferno used to be like a staple, I think, in the deck. That's which the thing, is right? You played like card. three of the trap card that you had to set and then wait a turn to fill up your graveyard. And then you needed other cards to even make use of the cards you just put into the graveyard. Um, and then there was obviously another Infernity deck around 2014 that also won the World Championships. Um, Soul Charge Infernity, GOAT. Go but with. I think all the yeah all the combo decks that we have mentioned up until this point were all decks that still played a good amount of trap cards because there was a possibility that you had to grind it out for a couple turns and I think that changes when we enter 2015 uh with like the first iteration of like uh, pendulum combo piles right yeah we'll get into the details of pendulum after this uh but yeah. from there to pendulum i think Masteru, and then from Masteru, do you think Masteru has two different separate categories because i think like 2020 we see a spike but also weirdly mm -hmm. 2018 was also hugely powerful i think there's definitely a spike during master wolf 4 yeah i mean there's like we have to talk about 
uh, like two of the main culprits, I feel like of two of the earliest, even uh, besides Pendulum of these of these modern type vomit your hand onto the board, win the game on the spot, which is we have to talk about Spiral and we have to talk about um, Goki. Well, year after year, it's crazy. Uh, since in, since yeah. the inception, 2017, then immediately into 2018. Yeah. And then 2019 was weird because we just had this like lull period where we had combo decks, you know, the danger uh, Jesse dragon deck. <laughs> danger uh, FTK as well, like 2018. <laughs> uh, 2018, man. Like, my God. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm fine laughs> that year. <laughs> um, and then I, I would argue like 2020 has that bit because that was the release of... Um, Link Cross, I think, right? It was 2020? Hulk Link Cross? It was probably? all a COVID. Uh, like, most of that was during uh, yeah. the early COVID stages. So, if ever there yeah. was a time to have a pandemic, that was maybe, like, the best period. Because imagine... <laughs> okay, ima okay. Imagine watching events of, like, at Emancipator mirrors, Link Cross mirrors, uh, Eldritch yeah. Synchro mirrors. Like, oh, God. <laughs> that was... Uh, those are the dark times. It's... Definitely. I don't know exactly what the reasoning for it was. I mean, one thing that all these have in common uh, post-2017 is they all happened after links. And I think that is something that is 100% worth mentioning, is that the link mechanic benefits the combo style decks a lot, simply because links are the most generic extra deck summoning mechanic. And... The consistency is a huge factor when you're playing a combo deck, right? Like the having your your key combo enablers be cards from the extra deck makes them accessible every single game, as long as you put the right materials up, which are usually generic enough for link monsters. Uh, Especially and when those extra it, deck monsters are easy to summon, and that like makes said, it yeah, that's the only thing that are... makes it possible for these decks to full commit into combo to be a fully committed combo deck you would need a certain level of consistency. Otherwise, you would have to make a backup plan, right? That's the thing that these decks are not forced to do anymore, right? Which is the main difference to decks back in the day, which made them significantly slower and in some ways easier to deal with, uh, is that these decks nowadays, they don't need to have a plan B. They just have their combo available to them uh, at like 90% plus or they're not a viable combo deck. Uh, and I think the link mechanic plays a huge role in that. Um, overall, because that's I think that's what what differentiates like a a spiral combo deck from uh, I don't know an an infinity combo deck is that you of course you need to draw specific cards, but still like it's just you would just put two spiral names out. It doesn't really matter which ones. You don't have to get to specifically infinity arch fiend and a way to special summon it or things like that. You know you don't need to get specifically necromancer tuner. And Archfiend in rotation, that kind of stuff. It's just like, yeah, put two spirals onto the board, you're good to go. You know, put two warriors on the board, and <laughs> you, you have the full Goki one. combo. Right? Two the, warriors. Sort of things. You know, there's, all, there's only like uh, 3,000 of them in the game. Yep. Um, so key point here, uh, I think the greatest real problem of the game, quote-unquote, if maybe you even... Some people might not even perceive it as a problem, but I think it is definitely worth talking about is there's this link between the main deck to the extra deck and then back mm -hmm. to the main deck that is far yeah. too... I don't want to say too because that implies like a level of bias in how I'm describing this, but there is a level of consistency there that yeah. is just like revolutionary to the game of Yu-Gi-Oh! Being able to I... go with those generic 
pend monsters into an yeah. Electromite, back mm -hmm. to your main deck, or yep. with any two warriors into the main back. Right? So now yep. your deck is just power spiked in consistency, uh, yep. coupled with the fact that Link Summoning is, and the way I've always described Link Summoning is, imagine you could Synchro Summon without the requirement of a tuner, and the level requirement was actually kind of just, you know, plus or minus a couple of levels, depending on how you feel, because it's very generous. Uh, you Synchro Summon up to level like, what, 10 generally there's a couple of 12s in the game link summoning mm -hmm. typically you're link summoning in between the one to four range so the range of those link summonings is lower therefore more generic and on top of that you don't have a specific monster requirement that synchros do which is a tuner yeah. monster not mm -hmm. a lot of link monsters have them uh, have yeah. those they don't need to be the same level either when you compare it to exceeds it's just by far the easiest way to put it it's the by far the most generic extra deck uh Something yeah. mechanic, the easiest to get there usually. And I, I remember you also bringing up this the, the some uh, an argument that I that I liked, which I remembered because that's special um, for you to do that. Is um, you you said it was a problem whenever extra deck monsters access something from the main deck, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that is a, a very good point. And one other thing that I also dislike about. Um, Link monsters, is, or one concept that I don't like about link monsters, is the uh, is the fact that a lot of them give you an extra body, which yeah. is a concept that I despise in link summons because I think it invalidates the entire design of link summoning. Whereas, like you put a value on these cards by printing them as a, a at a certain link level, right? A link one is supposed to be easier to summon than a link two. A link two is easier to summon than a link three. A link three is easier to summon than a link four. And then all of a sudden, you harder, if you right? make a... Huh? You mean harder. Link two is easier than link three. Link three is easier than link four. Yeah, you meant, you meant harder. Link, link two is harder to summon than link one. Link three is harder than two, right? No, in the order I said it, it was... Uh, link one is easier than two. Two is easier than three. Okay, that's definitely not what you said, but I, I see what you're saying. Sure. Okay, that's <laughs> run it back, chat. Run it back. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All so right. Anyway, the continue, thing is, if you now print, if you now make, if you design a link three based on, okay, you know, if you have any sense for balancing, you're gonna balance it around the fact that it requires three monsters, right? Yeah. Uh, and now you print a link two that summons a body. So all of a sudden, I can summon this link three that was supposed to take three monsters by using two monsters. Uh, and then if I make a link three that summons a body, uh, I can make a link four with that link three that I made with just a link two. So all of a sudden this link four monster that was designed to take four monsters takes two monsters. Uh, and I, I I think that entire thing is is a huge problem when it comes to just the link mechanic, it, which happens to also be a case within a lot of combo decks abusing that sort of thing. You know, you think of you think of Cybers, the archetype in general, you know, uh, which should I just be deleted. I was going to try and bring that up, but there you go. Yep. Yeah, Cybers is one of the worst defenders of this. Uh, exactly. Link it's, it's, it's the worst. It's the worst. Like, you you can throw hand traps at them all you want. As long as they end up with a freaking uh, breadcrumb on the board, they're going to access code attack you for <laughs> 10,000. breadcrumb. <laughs> and it, it, it's just, it's just, it's not just Cybers, though. It's also, it, that was the main problem with stuff like uh, Halka Fibrax. Uh, Aurora Dawn. It's just that it's link monsters that summon more stuff instead of just doing what extra deck cards, in my opinion, should do, which is just like be um, toolboxes and and give you different forms of maybe interaction with your opponent rather than interaction with your own uh, main deck. Uh. Yeah. Uh, so 
I think a key uh, component there we've identified is definitely one of the uh, sort of overriding factors of uh, combo. Um, yep. And I did want to like talk about the, well, I suppose we can bring this next thing I wanted to talk about up in the types of interruptions, but uh, let's move mm -hmm. on. Um, we're going to talk about uh, just a little bit about Pendulum uh, as, as an entire, <laughs> not real archetype, but as a mechanic. Pendulum uh, has sort of embodied, embodied the uh, major problems of combo, quote unquote, so much so to the point that Master 04 uh, was changed so that some people might not even know this right now if you're really new to the game. Uh, but the way Master 04 used to work is that extra deck monsters could only be summoned to the extra monster zone or or to the zone a link monster points to. So synchros and fusions and exes used to ex like literally just work uh, the same way that link monsters do. Um, and then at some point in 2020, they revised this and they made it so that synchros, fusions, exes, and uh, synchros, fusions, and exes could be summoned to any zone. However, yeah. they did not reverse it for Pendulum. Yeah. They didn't change it. Uh, Which is also worth noting is that in Master Rule 3, before that entire extra monster zone even existed, Pendulum monsters would just all be summoned from the extra deck into the main monster zone. So you could just zero cards in hand, pen five from the extra deck. Uh, every single which... turn. Every single turn. But uh, the thing about Pendulum is that it's just... I, I personally just think Pendulum as a mechanic is is flawed. Um, I think it, <laughs> and it, it, goes, it goes as far... It goes so far that they need to be so careful when designing a pendulum strategy just to make it interesting that I think at this point they should just, I don't know, I, I, I guess they should just acknowledge the fact that pendulum was not very well thought out, I feel like, because the, the whole mechanic um, is, is flawed from deck building to actual gameplay because pendulum monsters, because you have to assemble a high and a low scale, you are very much incentivized to put as many pendulum monsters into your deck as possible from the get-go. It was always like you needed to draw as many as possible because you needed to set up scales and then have st and still have stuff left that was worth pendulum summoning. Um, plus, it gives you the ability to just pendulum summon everything you want from your hand. So why wouldn't you just put all monsters um, into your deck that can be pendulum summoned and, have, and do something when pendulum summoned? And therefore, your game plan and deck building plan is always vomit your entire hand onto the board because why wouldn't you why would i set up two pendulum scales uh to pendulum summon one monster out of my hand uh if i can just summon everything when pendulum was first uh conceived of and revealed to the public people thought that oh wow so i can set up these two scales and then just pendulum summon out a blue eyes white dragon i don't need like the uh the tribute mm -hmm. fodder you know yep. and people thought like okay well that's uh that's kind of good right and then yeah. slowly but surely realizing that that's just a in, in reality in reality it was a huge um like you would damage your deck's consistency in a huge way if you put too many cards in there that weren't pendulum monsters yeah exactly uh, like even something like like something like people would play like apex avion for the first time in that period to pendulum summon an omni negate right that would return to your hand and could be pendulum summoned again right and mm -hmm. that was solid it was like one of the few exceptions of cards that people actually did play but that was like the only one in those type of decks and even that was risky because you didn't want to draw too many of it like you would still you need to make sure you draw a high and a low scale otherwise nothing works right and so um most of the pendulum decks historically have just been all pendulum and that's to this day Pendulum, the deck is just a slob of like a bunch of different pendulum engines uh, that efficiently set up scales, do something when pendulum summoned, and you just 
you know, you just usually, I don't know, you end with zero cards in hand most of the time. Yeah, I think uh, Pendulum is probably one of the only mechanics in the game that has never really had, like, um, anything outside of uh, a combo deck, really. Uh, I want to say the closest thing was Cliffort, uh, which in some cases didn't usually act like a typical Pendulum deck. But that's um, the thing. That's the thing. Those are the kind of things that they need to be doing if they want Pendulum to be somewhat interesting. At least, to, I mean, I'm sure there's people oh, that find current Cliffort. Pendulum interesting. But, like... Uh, there are a couple times where they try to make pendulum decks that, and I think that's interesting to to make the pendulum mechanic revolve around the pendulum scales, but it's like different. Like I'm thinking like Nemleria or um, these things, right? That that or uh, Valmonica, right? The kind of the the recent um, attempts at making interesting pendulum strategies that don't just end up being this sort of deck that we've talked about. Um, the problem is that these are just failing one after another because it's <laughs> simply it, it seems to be very hard to balance a deck around this mechanic because you have to make sure it's not too powerful because otherwise they're just going to throw it into another combo pile um, and you still want to keep it interesting so you have to give it some very random restrictions to make sure it doesn't end up being that combo deck um, which has just so far resulted in not very many like actual viable decks. Yeah, I think like the direction of Nimleria, for example, I don't know if they're going to keep reiterating and making uh, decks like that where Pendulum is be trying to be used as a a thing that you don't actually even do Pendulum summons with. It's just a, a yeah. card that just has bonus effects to it based on where yeah. you put it. Uh, yeah. So that is kind of like the approach they've seemed to have been taking recently. But yeah, yeah. like you mentioned, uh, every time they design a Pendulum card, it's very much at risk of just um bolstering the deck into yet another uh vomit your hand womble combo pile um yep. and i think that they've taken some steps recently to address that by making something like volmonica and uh nimleria and very recently mm -hmm. as well we've seen uh, from phantom nightmare we're getting the new magispector link monster which yep. is an extremely powerful card that just literally just searches two guys uh, yeah. But they're putting some very heavy restrictions on it. They are literally yeah, they, they absolutely have to. Like they're forced yeah. to because the mechanic is is rather. I, I think it's flawed. Um, but even even though it does have the room, like even with a flawed mechanic, you can design some pretty cool cards because uh, it it opens a lot of design spaces with how it's designed. Like I remember one of my favorite pendulum cards at the time was Archfiend Eccentric because simply the fact that it was this kind of utility tool that you could either summon it to be a monster removal or you could scale it to be a spell trap removal. That sort of stuff opens a lot of design spaces for you as a as a game like designer, card designer for Yu-Gi-Oh. And I wish they would take more advantage of that, right? Like make cards that are just, they are pendulum cards, but they don't care about the pendulum summoning aspect. They're just care, they care about the aspect of, hey, this card can be used as a spell or as a monster, right? Which gives it a huge... Um, like flexibility boost, right? And they haven't really been playing around with that enough to my liking because the only card I can think of right now that plays with that and is like playable outside of Pendulum decks would be like uh, Archfiend Eccentric. The, I, I can't think of them ever having made many other cards that have been viable and have played around with that fact. Yeah, that's a very good example. I love the utility that thing offers. Um, yeah. Being able to use Archfiend Eccentric, I think it was like Necro's format. You could like play oh, it yeah. as like... Yeah a gen out or like as an out yeah. to like skill drain which was really no, i love that design of the card because it also got around another problem which we're probably going to talk about in a different uh episode 
But like the fact that in certain times, you know, it wasn't feasible to main deck dedicated spell and trap removal, even though some people would main deck cards like skill drain or whatever. Um, but you couldn't just main deck, like you wouldn't want to main deck like MST uh, always when everyone else was playing Necros. Um, but a card like Archivin Eccentric was good enough to be played because it didn't only have that one purpose. Uh, let's move on to the type of interruptions that combo decks have set up and uh, the uh, different <laughs> Tier boards. Tearless time. <laughs> the uh, the different boards that they make, which I think is where the heart and soul of the frustrating factor can come from from players. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about Dragon Link and how that has always been one of the fairer combo decks, um, mm -hmm. to, right? Uh, other than, I suppose, early versions where you had, like, Buster Lock and LP, like, that was maybe a little too much. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think, like, usually the type of uh, combo decks that end on, you know, just a bunch of, like, disruption is usually quite fun or enjoyable to, like, play through for the most part. But I think the mm -hmm. biggest egregious uh, problems that, pen uh, not Pendulum, that combo can, well, Pendulum, definitely part of it to an extent, um, was mm -hmm. the uh, the fact that you either put up multiple Omni Negates or, yeah. most powerful of all, a generic searchable Floodgate. Yep. So, yeah, I think it comes down to, there's, uh, there's like, Omni Negate is the one that is the most famous because people always talk about, you know, five, five Negate boards, 10 Negate boards, 20 Negate boards. Uh, you, which I think, my personal opinion on Omni Negates is that they are um, they aren't as bad as people make them out to be. I just think they are bad when they are paired up with too many other things. Um, also paired up with too many other Omni Negates. Like I, I think there is nothing wrong, or I, I guess not that much that's wrong with just like ending on a Baron the Fleur with maybe some other side stuff that isn't super oppressive, right? Whereas like Omni Negates become infinitely more problematic when they are paired with for example, a floodgate, right? Which at that point makes it, then it becomes toxic, which in this case is the problem, the Baron that's protecting the anti-spell or is the problem the anti-spell, right? Or is the problem the scythe lock that is being protected by the Baron even if you have an out? Those kind of questions, right? I would I would say um, I, I've never felt frustrated because my opponent has ended on one Baron. It's usually what is next to it. Um... But obviously, there's also combo decks that have just put up way too many Omni Negates because uh, there's only so much you can you can you can outplay one Omni Negate uh, with with a full hand of cards. You know, you can like use your less valuable cards first to to force the Baron and all that kind of stuff. So it, it encourages good gameplay to figure out how how do I get my opponent to use this Baron the Fleur so I can pop off after. Um, of course, that kind of falls away when your opponent doesn't have enough to think about it because they have five anyways. You know. Yeah, uh, I don't know if we uh, decided to actually uh, define tier limit as um, a combo deck or if it's like a really powerful mid range deck. Um, but uh, for I the sake would I would have classified it as a very powerful mid range deck, like uh, similar yeah. to Dragon Rulers, kind of like uh, back in the day felt, uh, you know, how unbeatable in the long term, but even incredibly powerful early on. Well, for the sake of argument, if we do look at it as a uh, combo deck, I think one mm -hmm. of the cool and interesting parts of uh, Tier Lament was that it had a, a whole bunch of uh, different styles of uh, disruption that you end on. Yeah. Even current yeah. Tier Lament, for example, you're ending on like 
at an absolute stretch, like one Omni negate if you can get to yeah. like a Death Shadow for your Baron, uh, but you yeah. also have like a destruction effect with your field spell, a spin effect with your Kaleido Heart, mm -hmm. uh, a monster negate with your Selic, and maybe Book of Moon if you play something like Meta Noise, right? These are all yeah. varied types of disruption, which mm -hmm. I think are, uh, I think for at least the, the player playing, it does require you to think a little bit in how you use that disruption. Um, mm -hmm. You know, depending on the deck, if they're playing Zodiac, you just book the normal summon, then maybe you just auto win, for example, yeah. right? Uh, but in a lot of cases, I think, like, um, being able to, like, see your opponent have, like, different types of disruption, uh, I think is, like, generally quite fun to play into with the right, you know, one or two non-engine pieces. Um, and yeah. I think, like, those are the type of disruptions that combo decks put up that I think are mostly okay, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think it is worth mentioning though that even even the quote unquote uh, I would I would agree that everything that isn't necessarily like I think there's three problematic ones which are uh, too many omni negates floodgates and hand loops those are in my opinion the most problematic ones mm. and then there's a whole bunch of other ones like you mentioned like book of moon soft just effect negation like like soliac or something like that or uh, bounces back to the hand like a seals or whatever like you know maybe a banish or whatever a pop those kind of things those are typically okay but even the, even those in critical mass can feel like you didn't have a chance to begin with even though you can try playing into and hope your opponent like masses up messes up massively but like uh you know even though I, I agree with you, all the tier limit interactions individually were, were pretty much fine. Like a full tier limit combo against a non tier limit deck was still friggin' like hydrogen bomb coughing, coughing baby. Uh, <laughs> like you, you just, you knew you could try to play into it, right? You wouldn't be floodgated out of putting your cards under the table, but you knew it was pointless regardless. I think there's a lot of, uh, problems with the things that we talked about earlier which is like the ease of access for the extra deck where uh mm -hmm. build a board combo decks can access things like dagda for scythe uh the mm -hmm. baron the apoloza and those type of uh interruptions that it ends on coming so generically from the extra deck i think has yep. been generally um uh, one of the uh major problem points of uh of combo decks right you look at super heavy samurai and master do and i don't know what super heavy samurai samurai cards are even the problem uh the deck in the end board right like none of them. i mean they don't end on a super heavy sam right exactly typically. so it's like there's like one there's one that pops scythe <laughs> they make that sometimes <laughs> sure uh so i guess that begs the question like do we think that's the problem is like do we think like cards like baron apoloza are are the real issues with the game or do we think it's like halk um isoldi you know it's like is it the cards that extend or is it the cards that you end mm -hmm. on that are like being such a problematic tool for combo decks it's a it's a tough question, and I could see I, I could see arguing either way. But um, I generally think, in order to also combat the problem of turns just being very long, even for mid range decks, uh, I would just love to see less cards that that always access everything from your deck, especially in the form of special summoning. I don't have as much of an issue going into a synchro or a link or an exceed that searches a card, which it, it's it's funny because. Most of the rank fours or link twos or link threes or synchro eights that that search you a card have historically not been that much of a problem. Like I'm looking at Infernal Queen Banshee, the one that searches Pyro Monsters or Gear Gigant X or anything like that. Those never felt like they would enable something super crazy. Like, yeah, they sometimes have a really good search target, 
and that makes them still worth playing. But it doesn't feel like those have ever come close to the to the power level of an Isolde or a Halka Fibrax or the ones that just immediately special summon the thing, right? Or Dagda setting it to the board immediately. Um, I, f- I feel like um, if they want tutors from the main deck to exist, which I feel like at this point we can't really go back from that, like decks just need to be consistent, uh, I would prefer for them to not immediately special summon the thing. Interesting. Special summoning. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I think it's like kind of like for like for the for a lot of decks, right? Like, th- is there really a difference between summoning a monster from the deck and adding a monster from a deck? Depending on the card, there might not be a difference, right? Sometimes. Um, but yeah, generally, like, uh, floating <laughs> is usually like the major uh, pain point, right? Like, a body that floats at back from the grave or out of the deck after you link well, summon. It's like yeah. that whole uh, concept. You're just of just delete uh, cybers. I'll sacrifice. I'll sacrifice my my beloved Salamangrates, uh, and we just delete the cybers uh, type. I've been saying that. Yeah, it's not really much of an indicative uh, form of uh, competitive meta uh, theory, but you know, just for context, in the last card standing, we just banned cybers, like the type. Like <laughs> oh, it, that sounds it, based. <laughs> like it, it came to a point where every single cybers archetype in the game was banned. We banned every archetype, <laughs> but it was still topping because it just had like this just. <laughs> There's just so many Cybers cards that just say summon <laughs> or float or, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that's usually quite uh, quite a problem with the uh, with the mechanic itself. Um, yeah, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the counters here. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of like in the uh, current state of the game. I mean, what do we consider counters to combo decks? Or rather, what do we think are healthy combo decks, desi- uh, counters to combo decks design-wise. Okay, so so one major counter is uh, you just roll a higher number than they do. Huge. Which is, I, I want to preface this by saying I'm not a huge fan of combo decks. Um, in, not in the sense of, like, not actually, like, that I don't like them as a, as a concept, but rather I also tend to not find them very good from a competitive aspect. Um, simply because those type of strategies are typically flawed when it comes to, you know, you need to go first, you need to go second, you need to hope that your opponent um, doesn't have the right answers, you know, right hand traps, right board breakers. I find, to me, it feels very gambly, um, which which means that even though they are sometimes very re- uh, relevant in the format, I typically never find them to be that powerful in terms of the the actual win rate. Um, and that circles around to, you know, the, the type of stuff that you just need to do to counter a combo deck, I feel like it's just either you go first in game one and you're going to have a good time anyways, uh, which is not always true, but usually, you know, and, and then the other thing is like, even if you go second game one and you don't have any tools in your main deck, all you need to do is win game two going first and then have the heavy board breakers in the side deck, right? I think the major turning point um that we see from at least like an insight into konami's mindset is they've recognized that that combo is here to stay that it doesn't look like they'll be designing away from it and that doesn't look like mm-hmm. they'll be um you yep. know trying to address it they will probably still keep making crazy wombo combo decks but yep. what was interesting was i think a major milestone was the 2019 megatons that oh, yeah. introduced dark ruler shifter and oh, nibiru yeah. All yeah. three yeah. of those cards were specifically designed to stop Wombo Combo, right? I have my I have my own tinfoil uh, theory about that, okay. which I don't know. If, I, I don't think it's that hard of a take, but All I right. think a Shows lot of the, the combo decks that have existed in the past 
were designed by the OCG, um, where we got we get the majority of our cards from. Uh, and they are still playing a game with three maxi. And I think uh, their design philosophy is we're designing these combo decks with the idea in mind that they can never really get that out of hand because maxi is always going to put a damper on their win rate, right? Uh, which I still don't agree with because I still think like that doesn't really introduce a very fun gameplay, uh, even if it's like even if the deck has a fifty percent win rate, which make which doesn't make it competitive, still doesn't make it fun. Still doesn't mean it should be there. But I guess that's what they're thinking. You know, they're like, oh, Maxi's in the game. It's not going to be, um, it's not going to be that crazy. Uh, and then when they come over to the TCG, we don't have Max any Maxi anymore because uh, you know Konami TCG is based in that regard, and um, like they end up being a problem. And so I think at some point the TCG just said, hey, no, we need we need to design our own answers to to com- to these crazy combo decks that the OCG people keep throwing at us. Uh, and uh, and that's why they 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 release these in the TCG first, the Dark Rulers, Shifter, and Nibiru. Like the win rate has always been such a poor argument for me because um, it is know, it is you know a Royal Magical Library Exodia FTK Treasure Panda Exodia FTK Blaze Phoenix whatever like all of these decks have like horrible win rates but like yeah. they're not fun to play against right so no, it's, it's like, fun for one player like <laughs> yeah so it's like realistically like the problem here is uh is like the win rate is not defining the uh the validity of the de- well not really the validity of the deck but the just the in- interactivity of the deck and how fun that is for the for the player yeah, base no absolutely absolutely yeah uh but yeah going back to those tin cards um you know in just as a um as a, as a uh as a thought here i in hindsight because it's been almost five years now crazy 2019 was 17 years ago that's wild uh <laughs> when i first read nibiru and dark ruler I thought that Dark Ruler, at least, would be a 100% mandatory staple card in every single deck, at least the side. And I, I genuinely thought that's how broken that card is. And it's crazy that a card like Dark Ruler, as powerful as that is when you read that, has still yeah. not been as relevant as I think a lot of players thought it was going to be. Because these it's... combo decks have evolved and adapted with the game and have developed yeah. ways to play around it. You can chain a spell card and then chain a, a hot red to negate the dart ruler you can yeah no that's a, that's where the uh, that's where the tinfoil goes back on because for a while it felt like you know nibiru and dark ruler were really effective at um at, 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 at like you just drew that one card against the combo pile and you would be good uh but the ocg eventually got those cards as well and uh, like we've established for some reason the ocg wants combo decks to exist right and so now they were in a situ- situation where it was not only Ma- Maxi that was hurting combo decks, it was also Nib and Dark Ruler, and so they just made better combo decks, right? Now, all the good combo decks nowadays, they make a Baron before Summon 5. Exactly. Uh, they, they, they have searchable counter traps to negate the Dark Ruler or the Forbidden Droplet, uh, and, and it, they, just, they just do him like that now, right? And they just make him like that, and so it feels like... If yeah. they keep making these sort of necessary evil band aid fixes, whatever you want to call them, uh, it's just going to be a cycle, right? They they give us new tools because eventually, you know, Nibiru is not going to cut it anymore. Because you draw Nibiru against Manadium, sorry, not be, not good enough. You draw Nibiru against Super Heavy Samurai, not good enough. That card was designed to beat these type of decks, but it doesn't anymore. Uh, so, so we need strange. Nibiru too. <laughs> Um, 
yeah, I think we touched upon a lot of the uh, the counters there. I don't know, like, what we see as, like, the necessary evil, right? Like, Maxi really is, like, Droll. the necessary evil that they have in Droll. OCG. Droll is my biggest example of a necessary evil. Um, there's a lot of cards that people classify as such that I don't really deem necessary, like Maxi. Like, Maxi is way more of an evil than necessary, is the way <laughs> I like to put it. Uh, because the card is simply too powerful overall. Droll is also a powerful card, but it still feels like... I'm putting Droll into my deck and I'm at the risk of drawing it, you know, in matchups where it's not good, uh, in, in like situations where I don't want it uh, and all that kind of stuff. Maxi is way too generically powerful. Um, Droll and Lockbird is a card that... I, I'm not a fan of Droll and Lockbird. It's not what I'm trying to say, but I think it does fulfill this thing of like, um, whenever Droll and Lockbird is a main deck staple, I think it says more about the format than it says about Droll and Lockbird. Yeah, I think that's and, like a very popular sentiment. Is uh, And the, whenever the... it is popular, I'm also happy that it, ex it, that it exists, right? Like uh, in Master Duel right now, yes, the sign that Droll and Lockbird is, a, is at 70% usage is not a good sign for Master Duel. But that doesn't mean it'd be better if Droll didn't exist. It just means it'd be better if Super Heavy Samurai didn't exist, right? I view it I view it that way around. Yeah, exactly. So this is like the entire essence of the matter here. It's um, the, uh, the, the idea that, yeah, we can design cards that are quote-unquote like healthy to deal with these cards. Like Nibiru um, Shifter and Dark Ruler were the main mm -hmm. sort of like milestone go second cards you know we had evenly matched in 2017 as well for example though you could argue that hurts, droplet uh, is also huge acro decks for example um mm -hmm. droplet yeah big uh big card as well that was designed to counter these things um but the problem yeah. is like i feel like you can only design so many good powerful cards in this way right i think the major issue is that i don't think cards are the solution to fixing combo right i think it's a it's a design aspect right unless you know, because in the end, like if you does, it doesn't matter how many cards you design, right? Because in the end, you still need to draw them, right? Like it's we've still, seen so it, many it different does, If there's enough cards, if there's enough cards that are viable and invalidate combo strategies, uh, it would solve the problem because they would simply not, they would lose their competitive viability. Um, because the thing is, like crazy Yu-Gi-Oh first turn combos have existed since freaking I don't know 2011 or something. You would find uh, crazy Gishki FTK hand loops on YouTube all over the place, or I sold Summon 4, or whatever, right? Um, these, the, the difference between those and modern combo decks has, it has never, like, they've never, they've not been less toxic or anything like that. They've just been less viable because uh, they weren't equipped to, to deal with the, for example, a single effect veiler at the time, right? Well, this um, is and where I'm going to disagree with you, I think, because mm -hmm. I think that the combo decks have just adapted um is the issue right like no that's uh, what that, no that, that, we, we don't disagree on that like um okay but i think that's like that's the problem right so it's like if they keep designing these cards but combo is just going to yeah. keep adapting right no that no yeah that's, that's why i said that there's a circ there's a cycle to it like if they for some reason want to sell combo decks uh, make new combo decks and sell them they have to make them outplay the current hand traps that's so that, what that, is that's the solution do, do, do they stop making them do we they just either keep... have to stop their like their idea of you know we need to have viable combo decks uh or it's going to be that cycle yeah because then we we are just in this perpetual arms race between combo and anti-combo cards and trap i will cards say and, you know... I, I will say I, I i think this is a this is particularly an issue uh that is more so existent in the ocg in recent years i feel like and the the one thing I'm thinking of uh, 
the reason I say this is because of how fast they got rid of Super Heavy Samurai in the TCG. Um, which was, was something weeks, that, I think it was. Yeah, I personally didn't expect it, but I feel like most people were pleasantly surprised by that. And um, it to me, it clearly showed that sentiment of like that deck was around in the OCG forever because for some reason they want it to exist. But the TCG department didn't seem to agree with that. Uh, and so that, that like, makes me hopeful. Uh, that that just... makes me a little hopeful that these, like, because Super Heavy Samurai was really the worst example of a of a combo pile recently. Right? <laughs> uh, and so that that made me hopeful for um, at least the TCG in in the future, right? Like, uh... do we think there's like a divide here between their design philosophies? There seems to be like very different. There has to the be because one of like literally it comes down to one singular card, and that is Maxi. There has to be a difference in, in philosophy when that card is legal in the OCG at three and the TCG has banned it, what, six years ago? Seven? Yeah. So um, a polarized uh, situation like that is, is very, um, very strange, I think. Um, one yeah. thing that's uh, interesting to note is the TCG tryout duel event that happened in Mastodo where you could play with yeah. the TCG list, which is no maxi. Um, there's been a lot of uh, peaked interest from uh, from the East at this whole discussion again. Um, Is there data for this? Uh, well, I was actually going to take a look at through, uh, for anyone who's uh, interested, there is a uh, big Reddit thread um, with a huge uh, compilation of a bunch of translated from Chinese um, opinions and takes on that event in Macedo that took place. Uh, and it really is just like, you know, different... It's a discussion that you would expect. There's a lot of people saying, like, wow, this is a crazy breath of fresh air. This is, you know, interesting. But there's also a lot of countering opinions on that from the OCG yeah. saying, like, well, how can they not play without Maxi? That's... I have no chance if my opponent is playing X deck and I have I don't have Maxi, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of uh, discussions going around uh, right now talking about this. Yeah. Uh, sparked by the Macedule event that utilized the TCG regulation. Mm -hmm. It's just sad because uh, I feel like this 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 one card difference is responsible for so many of, of these issues uh, because the same is true in the other direction because they often have decks in the OCG that are specifically good because they don't care about Maxi. Um, and they designed them that way, right? They designed them specifically to not give the opponent that many draws. But that just makes them fundamentally flawed for us because they don't have that advantage over here. Um, it's just another, a whole other uh, question of, you know, should OCG and TCG be so separate? Because obviously having different philo philosophies in your ban list, but then designing the same cards for both games it's can lead to weird. problems. Yeah. Right, I you're designing it, cards for two different formats. It's obviously you can't always satisfy both. Get a bunch of like really uh, differing games uh, sometimes, right? Like you look at, for example, um, like Dragoon Turbo was huge in OCG, right? Like literally yeah. just invoked or uh, just any sort of like Verte Dragoon deck was so powerful because ending on this crazy boss monster in two summons was exactly. you know, yeah. phenomenal into maxi right yeah. but in tcg that was never a thing like we'd yeah. never play dragoon turbo was like and in, in tcg was like you do your full combo 
and then you have a dragoon as well. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that's how it played out in TCG. Yeah. You. 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 I think. I think people underestimate the importance in terms of your overall win rate, in terms of your chance of success at a tournament. Like in the OCG and in Master Duel as well, it's a genuine strategy to play a deck that has a good plan against Maxi, rather than relying on drawing your Ash or something for it. Um, that makes up for your deck being maybe less powerful than other decks overall. Like you have a deck with a lower ceiling. But you don't lose 10% of your games to maxi, which evens out your overall win rate. You know, you lose some games because your deck's not as powerful, but you lose less games to maxi. And so uh, it's this entire balancing factor that they are designing archetypes for that is missing when, when decks come over to the OCG. So sometimes we have combo decks that remain with too little checks, and then we have uh, mid-range decks that are not powerful enough because they lose that sort of extra win percentage with maxi. Well, uh, I think we've uh, covered some of the major milestones and topics here. Um, is there anything yeah. you wanted to uh, expand upon a little bit more before we uh, wrap this episode up here? I, I want to say, even though we've talked about it now for almost two hours, I think for the majority of the last couple years, uh, it's I genuinely find Yu-Gi-Oh! enjoyable most of the time, is what I'm trying to say, because I, I find like the most decks that are actually at the top throughout the history of the game even... Um, have not been combo decks. It's only, I feel like, a, a couple outliers that have actually made it into the top tier. Because at the end of the day, it's like it's not just that your combo deck has to be incredibly good at going first and making an incredible combo board happen. It also needs to be able to play through hand traps, play going second, be good after side decking, uh, be good to board, be good into board breakers and all that kind of stuff to be competitively viable. Um, and that majority of the time the combo decks just don't check all of those boxes, right? And so I'm typically not that worried about them, and they've historically only ever really been that strong um, a couple of times, like a handful of, of, of decks that you could do, you would actually argue were the best deck in their respective formats. Um, but I still think it's an issue that because they exist and because they make games unfun sometimes, uh, they, they just do a... a they just don't do the the game any good or like m many good things. Like it's it's just it. I think it draws away more players than it adds um, when these pop up every once in a while. I will say as a, a personal uh, comment here, I have always adored um, combo decks, specifically graveyard piles. Have always just been mm -hmm. my favorite decks to play in the game. I don't know. They what are it fun is. to play. Almost all of them, like even Goki and Spiral and all that. They were like. <laughs> If you were the one doing the comboing, they were fun. Yeah, uh, I don't know what it is, but just, you know, interacting with snow, milling a lot of cards with grass. Like, historically, we've mm -hmm. seen so many different, uh, you know, types of graveyard decks, and they've always been combo decks, and those are the ones I've really enjoyed the most. Um, when it's it's a very strange paradox for, for people like me because I, I do recognize, like, it's definitely not good for the health of the game long-term yep. for something like you know, a grass pile or ad emancipator or something like that to be uh, to be viable and to be meta and to be good. Um, yeah. But at the same time, they're just so goddamn fun. It's like, I don't know. Should, it... <laughs> I think it's the same as with everything. I think there is some merit to them existing because there are people out there that enjoy them. And I think it's completely okay for for people to enjoy it. And therefore, you know, every once in a while, I'm okay with a combo deck popping up as long as I have some tools to combat it. Do not auto lose every time they go first, for example, right? 
Um, and I think that's what it comes down to. I think that's what we also have to settle for in the long run, because I don't think they are going to get rid of them completely. So please give me the tools to 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 beat it at least, uh, and then I suppose I'm going to be able to to live with it, right? And uh, uh, you know, make sure that they're not always the the best deck. You know, maybe one format we have a good combo deck, and then the next format we don't, uh, so that uh, I don't have to worry about it every single tournament that I enter, right? And I think that's that already be. Um, good enough for for my for my end. I think I, as much as I enjoy playing so many combo decks and the glass kind of nature of it, um, I think um, for me personally, and I don't know how other like combo players feel, but I think like conceding to the fact that it just has more problems than it solves, um, or has more <laughs> negatives than uh, positives. The positives being is that it's extremely goddamn fun. Yep. But I'm very like hard pressed to find positive arguments for combo decks outside of just fun which you yeah. could argue i mean that should be enough. i mean fun is the it would be the main argument but yeah. like fun for both players would be a yeah. better argument but you could look, but the thing is like when you look at like is you know tri brigades the best deck healthy for the game right you can come up with i think a lot of like objective yeah no like most that. of the yeah mid-range decks i think is what most people would agree on are yeah. the bread and butter of what Yu-Gi-Oh should be exactly. uh, no matter and... if it happens in two turns or back in the day in 10 turns mm -hmm. uh the fact that they go back and forth leave your opponent some room to play with uh with you even if you went first uh that is i think where the most beautiful Yu-Gi-Oh is being played exactly and you know um there is just a lot of objective positive arguments like all the ones you mentioned for for decks like that to be the best deck. But with combo mm -hmm. decks, I do really struggle to find positive arguments for it in 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 the attempt of an object, objective sense to define mm -hmm. positive arguments for combo was uh, combo decks being viable yeah. in the best decks in Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, the only the only one that I find is that they are not for me, but I I, I acknowledge the fact that some other people really like them, uh, and I guess that makes it somewhat. That's somewhat good enough of an argument for me. Uh, like I'm not putting myself in the position of like everything that I don't like should not be in the game, right? Because I acknowledge that some other people might enjoy Yu-Gi-Oh in different ways, and therefore I'm okay with combo decks existing. Um, you know, not all the time, but like sometimes, I guess is the way I'm. I like. Well, that concludes a, another episode of The Heart of the Cast. Thank you guys for tuning in to another week and another episode. Uh, of course, we're still very early on in the cycle and life of this project. So, uh, we're <laughs> no <still> Apple. <laughs> <laughs> we are, uh, we're, we're working on it. We're working on it. Uh, we're still, you know, trying to get as much of your feedback on board as possible. So, uh, do leave us uh, comments and ideas and topics, questions you want us to explore. Uh, we're, you know, this is aiming to be some sort of a weekly segment, uh, and there's always going to be some type of downtime in the game. We don't always have an, a, an event every single um, week to talk about, so uh, there will always be room and time for interesting subjects. Uh, and I think um, with your guys' uh, help and uh, attendance on both of our live streams and social medias, which you'll find in the description, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, do support us uh, both and uh, tune in and give us your feedback. So. Thanks for yep. tuning in and watching uh, or listening this week. Bye-bye.